Jesus said to the disciples, Beware of practicing your piety before others in order to be seen by them. For then you have no reward from your Father in heaven. So whenever you give alms, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets so that they may be praised by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your alms may be done in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. And whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, so that they may be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But whenever you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And whenever you fast, do not look dismal, like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces so as to show others that they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that your fasting may be seen not by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consumes and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Whenever you point a finger at someone else, you're pointing three back at yourself. Anybody heard this? That's one of the sayings that my parents had when we were growing up. They had all sorts of sayings. No one knows how these things get started, but they're like modern-day proverbs, trying to pass on a piece of wisdom, a kernel of truth. Whenever you point your finger at someone else, you're pointing three back at yourself. Have you noticed that our culture and politics today seem to be big fans of finger pointing? It's constant. I think we all feel the temptation to point fingers at other people, to figure out how to blame someone else for what is going on. When my sister died, it was much easier for members of my family to point fingers at one another, to portion out blame and responsibility, to find ways to make it someone's fault. Certainly that was much easier. Pointing fingers was much easier than it was to look within or to actually face our grief. James Baldwin, the famous writer and civil rights activist, once said, I imagine one of the reasons people cling to their hates so stubbornly is because they sense that once the hate is gone, they'll be forced to deal with their pain. 
Have you ever noticed that when we point fingers, we hardly ever point them at ourselves? It's always them, right? Those people, that group, that political party, which is part of what makes Ash Wednesday so important and so powerful. Because today is a day when we set aside our desire to point fingers at other people, when we instead open our hands and our hearts to examine ourselves. You see, I think of Ash Wednesday as log time. When he was teaching, Jesus said, why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye, but you do not notice the log in your own eye? What is it about us as humans that makes us so quick to criticize others but so slow to critique ourselves. That delights in finding the smallest flaw or fault in someone else, but lives in denial of our own shortcomings. Why are we so quick to point fingers? I don't know the answer to these questions, but I know it's true. I see it all around me. And more importantly, see it in myself. And so today, as our reading from Isaiah commands, we remove the pointing of the finger from among us. We look within to consider ourselves, our actions, our words, our attitudes, not in comparison to others, We don't measure ourselves according to some political orthodoxy or the cultural norms that surround us, but rather according to the commandments and the laws of God. More than 500 years ago, Martin Luther referred to this as the second use of the law. He said God's law is like a mirror held up in front of us one that reveals who we truly are. A mirror that shows not just our outward appearance, but our deepest desires, like the mirror of Erised from Harry Potter. A mirror that shows not just what we do, but why we do it. The truth behind our actions the motives behind our lives, the inner workings of our thoughts and the attitudes of our hearts. A mirror that reflects not simply into the nice, composed parts of our lives, but that sees into every part of our lives. For Jesus told us clearly that nothing is hidden from God, that God sees even the things we do in secret. And sometimes that sounds like really good news to our weary souls, but many times it doesn't sound like good news at all. These words that we heard Jesus speak are like a big mirror that forces us to consider why we do the things we do, especially when it comes to our religious practices, because there's something about religion that calls to some of our most selfish desires. 
It is easy for our practice of religious faith to become noisy. Deeds done in order to gain attention or adoration. Sin can twist our pious practices into desire for power and prestige. Twist our faithful following into pride that delights in procuring praise. Twist even our most humble habits into narcissistic novelties that are devoid of devotion and performed primarily for the pitiful purpose of parading about just high, how high and holy and righteous we are. I guess what I'm trying to say without the alliteration is that it's very easy for our religious practices to become self-centered and all about me. These verses make us ask ourselves if the expressions and the practices of our faith are done to get attention or to give attention, to receive glory or to give glory to appear holy, or to testify to the one who is holy. And I promise I'm not just pointing fingers. I still remember my senior year of high school when I was so proud to carry my Bible from classroom to classroom, so proud, in fact, that I forgot to ever open it, (laughs) to read what it said, to allow its holy words to soak into my soul. It was a performance, you see, a way to show just how holy I was, not like those other people. And I still remember how my own self-centered, holier-than-thou understandings of faith and the arrogance that this bred within me strained my relationship with my sister rather than showing her the unconditional, gracious love of God. And that's what God is after. Our first reading from Isaiah tells us this. Our faith is meant to lead us to serve others. Our faith is meant to lead to the loosing of the bonds of injustice. Our faith is meant to lead us to feed the hungry, to bring the homeless poor into our homes, to cover the naked, satisfy the needs of the afflicted, break the bonds that hold people down. And all the pious practices in the world don't matter. They aren't worth a thing if they are performed simply for ourselves rather than out of love for God and love for others. There's a theologian named Douglas John Hall who once said, salvation for us self-absorbed creatures means finally losing our precious selves in the other, the other who is the recipient of our alms, the other who hears our prayers, the others who benefit from our religious fasts and faithful lives. I appreciate these words because they remind us that living the way God intends, living in right relationship with God, a life where our faith is not about us, not about pointing fingers, not about performance, but is about losing ourselves and giving ourselves and our lives away in service to others, 
that sort of life is freeing. It is salvation. It is a reward unto itself. And it's a reward that will last. The things of this world will fade away, amounting to what Jesus calls treasures on earth, where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal. Our money will fade. Our beauty will fade. Our popularity and power and possessions. And today, we are reminded that even our bodies will pass away. As we hear the words that God spoke to the first humans long ago, you are dust. To dust you shall return. But the good news Jesus speaks to us today is that though all else will fade, God will remain. Yes, we are dusts, but we are God's dust. Yes, ashes will be traced on your forehead today as a reminder of your mortality, but they will be traced in the shape of a cross, the symbol of God's enduring victory over sin and evil and God's sure promise of eternal life. All else will fade, but God will remain. God's kingdom will remain. Our relationship with God will remain a treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust consumes and where thieves do not break in and steal. In the church where I grew up, there was a big emphasis on giving something up for Lent, fasting from something. Other people chose to take something on during Lent, adding some sort of practice to daily life. And if you choose to do something like that this year, and I hope you do, then let it be something that intentionally invests in your relationship with God. Or let it be something that helps in some small way to create the kind of world that the prophet Isaiah spoke about, where the bonds of injustice are loosed and the impressed do go free and the needs of others are met. Or let it be fasting from that constant habit of pointing our fingers at other people so that you can spend that time looking within, considering the log in your own eye, and then look to God for mercy and forgiveness and hope and new direction. Doing that will, at the very least, help us to see more clearly. And it will certainly help others to see God more clearly in and through us. And in the end, That's who we're really supposed to be pointing to, isn't it? Amen.